0: Okay, so homework palindrome. So a palindrome is defined to be a sequence of integers in our case that is read the same way forwards and backwards. So some example uh, sequences whose elements are separated by white space are as follows. In fact, it looks like they're just spaces uh, in general. R right, one two three two one um, fifty three four three two one two three four fifty three. And lastly, 10, 1, 0, 153, 153, 0, and 1. And if you're familiar with the concept of palindromes, perhaps from other classes or just uh, from other areas, they're usually um, associated with sequences of characters or strings. But since we haven't got to strings yet, our case will be just sequences of integers. <laughs> so your problem, if you choose to take it, is to develop a complete C++ program and then from our standpoint that will be just be the main function that takes as user input a sequence of integers from standard input, which means uh, you're retrieving that in- the input from CN. The program then repeats this input. So the user enters the, imp- the sequence and then the program at the very first thing it does is just repeat or echo or verbatimly output whatever the user entered. The program then repeats the input uh, through standard output, which will be done through app, the entered sequence and subsequently informs the user if the sequence is a palindrome or if it's not. So here it is some example input and example output. So suppose the program, uh, the user of the program entered 101101. Your program will say yes that the sequence 101101 is in fact a palindrome. And in the case of the sequence uh, one one two. And by the way, this, these numbers can be separated by any form of white space. It doesn't have to be a actual space. It could be a tab, for example. So obviously, one one two is not a palindrome because uh, one one two does not equal two one one. Right? They're different for uh, from left and right, or forwards and backwards. So, is everyone queer, um, clear about the requirements? Yes. Well, I had a question when I wrote the program. Uh... I had the user tell how long the sequence is. Do you not want to do that? Um, I would suggest that you do that. So the question was, um, if I can repeat it precisely, can you ask the user for the number of numbers that will be entered? And the answer is yes. That's not the most elegant solution. There are other ways to go about that, and if we have time today, maybe I'll get to that. But that's certainly um, a good starting point. So one thing you can do is you can ask the user... um, Ahead of time, how many numbers will be in the sequence? Not aesthetically pleasing, but it works. One thing to note, though, that when you're using an array, in which case we'll we'll be using to, uh, to solve this problem, that the allocation size of an array, or the maximum size of an array, when it's allocated, must be a constant or a literal. So you can't use a variable as a size specifier of an array. So there's going to be two notions of size here. And this is much the case in working with these kinds of arrays, which are called static arrays. Later in the quarter, we'll get to something called dynamic arrays um, that are much more flexible, and where you actually can use um, a variable as a size specifier uh, in an array declaration. But with these very simple arrays, we can't do that. So with these arrays, we're going to have two notions of size. So let's say your array is called sequence. It's an array of integers. And let's say this this is the way it looks in memory. So a lot lot of times I like to draw arrays like this. You can draw it on its side as well, um, up and down. Usually that's reserved for another data structure called a stack, but this suffices. So your array is going to have a number of entries, and each entry is going to be uniquely identified by an index number. So what would be the index of the first entry of your array? Zero, right? Assuming it has one, by the way, you can declare an empty array. An array of size what? So how would I go about creating an empty array? Not to be much use to us, but you can do it. So what would I specify as the size of an empty array? It's a really easy question. Zero. Yeah, negative actually has to be has to be positive or non-negative, I should say. But yeah, you would make it an array of size zero. All right. So let's assume that we don't have a non, we have a non-empty array here. So, the first index would be 0, followed by 1, followed by 2. And what would be the last index? Yes? Uh, The number of values minus 1. Yeah, exactly. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, Yeah, and right, some number. So, the maximum size, whatever that is. Let's say it's max. And let's assume that you've declared um, in your program somewhere a constant called max. And the size of an array is always going to be an integer, right? so there's no partial elements, so you don't need a double value. And this will be a name constant, so by convention, we'll capitalize all letters of of the constant name. And really, you can size to whatever you want. um, But let's get down here to the requirements, and you'll see that actually we're looking for 50 integers. But it'll be very easy to change this number because you'll be referencing the name constant throughout your program. And if tomorrow you wake up and decide, hey, 50 is not large enough, um, we can make it 100, for example. So there's going to be a notion of a maximum size and an actual size. So here, when you declare an array just like any other variable in C++. The initial value of the elements of the array are going to be undefined. Or a term I like to use called garbage, which means we don't know what's in there. It could be something uh, from the last program that was run. It could be who knows what, random number of bits in different orders. It could be someone's credit card number, Social Security. You never know. Anyway, we'll just think of those as undefined or garbage. Garbage values. By the way, if you reference a garbage value, um, undefined things can happen in your program. So it could crash, it could not, who knows. So, um, so the maximum size is going to be max, that is, 50, and in this case. Uh, what, what's the actual size, though? How many integers are actually stored in this array currently, as you see it on the board? It's the same answer as the last question. Zero, yeah. There are currently no, uh, there are currently no integers in this array. So let's say you have another variable called size, which represents the number of actual integers in the sequence. So right now it's zero. So I'll write that in there. But at some point it's going to be something other than zero. At some point what we like is a sequence of at most um, max number of integers. So this bar here that I drew could be here, it could be here, it could be empty, who knows. Uh, But it's somewhere between uh, 0 and max. And this will correspond to the actual size of the array. And the last index here will be size minus 1. All values between size and. Excuse me, this is max minus 1, I'm sorry. All values between size and max minus 1, that is this portion of the array, will be undefined. And all elements between 0 and size minus 1 will actually hold real numbers. So I'll use a different color for that, since I brought my colored chalk today. So I'll represent an x as a valid number. I'll use x to represent a valid number, by the way. So x is some integer. And question mark is some garbage value. So you have two notions of size. You have a maximum size, right, which is specified in terms of a name constant, because you can easily change it. And you have an actual size. So this will no longer be 0. This will be something, I'll say y, some other number. So there's maximum size and actual size. And we'll see this over and over again with, with so-called static arrays. Which are the ones we're dealing with now? Yes. For that homework um, problem, each number that was read in is that supposed to be done with a separate CN statement for each of them, or you can? Um, you can. Yeah, uh, you can use a separate CN statement or you can do chaining. Either one, it doesn't matter. Um, it should be clear that we'll be in a loop because you you don't know ahead of time how many numbers will be in a sequence you do know one thing you know you know it should be less than max in fact you should check that if you can um i'm not going to like require that but it's good to check to make sure that the user is entering it, you know at most max numbers good questions all right so requirements um each integer in a sequence is retrieved from the user and separated by white space. So that means that you're not going to be hard coding these numbers here. These are just examples. Just to show you in this particular uh, input, this would be the output. So you're, ask, you're going to ask the user to enter the number of numbers in the sequence, for example, and then enter the, followed by entering the sequence. So uh, for example, the integers in the input sequence 1, 2, 3 are 1, 2, 3. So notice that they're, they're separated by spaces or white space. All right, the sequence cannot be more than 50 integers long, and this must be enforced by your program. Okay, I take that back. I lied. So your program must enforce this. So if your user is entering uh, more than 50 characters or more than max characters, generally speaking, then um, you should tell them or stop the program or you know, ask for another number less than 50, something like that. You can be creative. I'll leave, that guys, I'll leave that up to you, that part. But if it, if it doesn't enforce 50, I'm, I'm not going to go nuts. So I'd like to see you know the palindrome stuff done uh, ahead of time. So instead of, yeah, I'm not going to go crazy over this number. Okay, so that's it. It's pretty short. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> number 50 must be stored in a constant and referred to in your program by that constant. So once you declare your constant, uh, use it in your program. Do not use the number 50. Store the sequence of integers into an array of size 50. Um, right. The declaration of your array must utilize the above-mentioned constant. Your program must contain at least one loop, either a while or four. And we haven't went over four loops, so a while loop will suffice. These looping structures are actually equivalent. In fact, four is sort of a shorthand for a while loop. So if you know four loops already before we went over them, that's fine. Otherwise, uh, we did go over while loops last class. You can use that. All right, submission. So the source code of your C++ program should be submitted in the corresponding uh, Carmen Dropbox. Is that true? Yes. Yes, yeah, so there should be a Carmen Dropbox. So you guys are familiar with that from the last homework. Um, I would also like a sample output of your program. So output a sample execution of your program also submitted to the Dropbox. For instance, if your program is named Palindrome, um, if you're using the default G++ name, it will just be a. <clears throat> out. You can capture the output of your program using the Unix redirect symbol, which is another greater than sign. And I know you've guys seen this uh, many times in C already, but this is actually not C. This is a Unix redirect symbol. And it allows you to redirect standard input and standard output to different places. In this case, we'll redirect it to a file, and you can call it output.txt, for example. So if your program is called palindrome or a.out, you would say redirect the output of my program using this symbol here into this text file. Now there would be a funny thing that happens here when you do this. Uh, you'll no longer see the output of your program on the screen because it will be re- redirected into this file. There's a number of things you can do in this situation. Uh, one thing you can do is open up another terminal window, like another putty window, and you can um, open this output file and keep on refreshing it Uh, until you're satisfied. So as your program is running, it will output its output into this file called output.txt, and one screen, you can have that file open and refresh it. Um, I think you can just press, in VI, you can press um, colon E and enter, and that will refresh. Or you can just reopen it again. Another thing you can do is just ignore the Output, so you know what sort of you know. Presumably, you wrote the program, hopefully, and you know what the output of the program is going to be. So, if you don't see the output on the screen, you can sort of guess what it is. That's another way to do it. Yes. Is there a way to append the file say okay. one than? Yes, you can append to the file by adding an additional greater than sign. Yeah, good question. So yeah, the the single um, greater than sign or redirect symbol means start a new file. If you add one more, that does the intent. And by the way, this is not C++. This is a Unix thing. So you won't be tested on this. So this class is not in Unix. Uh, it is on C++. OK, so definitely you can use that. There are other ways about going about this. Uh, if you have a lot of trouble with the, with capturing the output of your program, if you want to send me a screenshot, that's fine. Um, I think Carbon accepts like GIF or JPEG files. Um, so just show me some example of uh, your program output. This is probably the easiest way to go about it. Okay, so here is basically what I just said. Uh, note that you won't be able to see the output of your program since it will be redirected to the file output.txt. You can, however, view this file, uh, perhaps using vi. You can print it uh, on Unix, that's called the LPR command, and that will only work in the labs in, for example, a And you can just drop it in your um, carbon drop box, just like your C++ source code file. So it's just a text file. All right, any questions on submission? Okay, um, so how the heck do you go about this? So you declare some array. I'll turn on the light here. Let's say called sequence. So your declaration is going to look as follows. Um, so it's going to be it's a, an array of um, integers called sequence. So right now, it looks like a normal variable. Um, in fact, a scalar, so-called scalar vari- variable that holds only one value, but we want um, an array of values. To do that, we specify a size inside ragged's. <coughs> and uh, this has to be a constant or literal value. So we'll put max in there. So max is a constant, so that works. Can't put a variable there, by the way. Uh, the behavior of a program will be undefined if you do that. Now, like I said, when we get the dynamic <laughs> arrays, uh, we can ask the user how big the array would be and use a variable for that, which would be much more optimal, I think. Alright, so you have your name constant, you have your array declaration, so right now your memory looks like this. Right? You have the array uh, called sequence. Alright, so we're going to need a size variable, so let's do that. So you declare a size variable, and initially that would be zero. And then you have a comment here that says the number Of valid elements and sequence. And by the way, in some other languages, for example, Java, um, this sort of like actual size variable is built into your array. In C, that's not the case, unfortunately. So in C, when you're working with static arrays, uh, you must have another variable to sort of tag along that denotes the number of valid elements in the array. And by valid, I mean not these garbage values. So the actual size. OK, so one thing you can do, as I mentioned before, is then go ahead and ask the user how many numbers will be in a sequence. And then using a loop, iterate the number of times, and perhaps using the extraction operator, with cn, retrieve those values and place them in the array. Is everyone OK with that one? Is it the other part that's the difficulty I think, right? Um, now if you're just getting started with this, I recommend you do that first. So you do this first, you ask the user how many values, enter the values, and then go ahead and output the values. So you need to do that anyway, right? You need to echo the, the user input. So if you can get that far as a good starting position, uh, the next step is to actually analyze these values to the side, If they are, in fact, uh, a sequence of palindromes or a a palindrome, singular. So how can we go about that? Probably the one thing you don't want to do is start coding right away. Uh, A lot of people do that. A lot of people are successful at that. Um, I recommend sort of like planning your attack in something called an algorithm, which is basically just a a plain English description of what your program will do or how it will tackle the problem. It's very much like a cooking recipe. So has is anyone, is anyone ever cooked in here, or baked, uh, or followed Google Map directions to school, for example? These are all algorithms. They're step-by-step procedures on how to solve a problem. In those cases, your problem may be baking a cake, or baking dinner, or driving to school. So here is uh, the problem is to decide whether or not a particular sequence is a palindrome. All right, so uh, a couple of students from my office uh, before class, and we were talking about this. And we thought of one way to do this was to use two guys. So we're going to make this like a real-life situation. So you start the one guy on one end of the sequence. And you start the other guy on the other end. And we're going to do this in real life. So I actually need two volunteers to come up to the front. We'd like to reenact this algorithm that will propose to everyone to solve this problem. All right, one volunteer, come on up. You know you want to come up. All right, so you just stand right here. Come on up, thank you. And you can stand on this side, and you guys can face each other. All right, so pretend this, this is your sequence. And let's pretend that these blocks on the floor are entries in your right. So make sure you're standing in one block and that you're facing on the same row. There we go. As, as best as you can anyway. <laughs> let me turn off this projector, by the way. Okay, so here's the idea. So we have one person standing on one end and the other person standing on the other end. So this is a similar situation here. And the idea is to call out to the other person uh, what they see. So what they're, what they're, the value that they're standing on. So this person shoots out to this person, and that person calls out to this person. And there's two different things going can happen. right? Either the values are the same, or the values are different. So what do we know if the values are different? Is this, can the sequence be a palindrome or not? No. So at that point, you know automatically, right, right away, that the sequence is not a palindrome. The other possibility is that they're the same. So in this case, we say that the sequence is promising. It's still possible that um, the, the sequence it cannot be a palindrome, but it's also possible that it can be a palindrome. We're not sure yet. So what's the next step to take at this point? Statement. Um, physically, what should you do? Step. Yeah, take a step. Right, exactly. So this person goes here to the next entry, and this person goes the next entry. So this person only moves to the right. This person only moves to the left. And repeat the same thing. Yell out to each other (laughs) what you see. I'm just kidding. There's nothing there. Um, And if it's different, right? is it a palindrome? No. If it's the same, is it a palindrome? Well, we don't know. It could be. And you keep on repeating this until what? All of them are palindrome. They're all the same. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's basically true, yeah. Uh, but more precisely, there could be two, two situations. <clears throat> so in one situation, if the number of uh, numbers in the sequence is, let's say, odd. So in the last step, you have this situation. So here's your right. Here's person one, here's person two. They shout out, say, hey, these are the same, right? And they take one step. And now they meet each other. So that's in the odd case. There should be two people here. In the even case, rather, so we'll have this situation. Person one's over here. Person's, person one is over here. And they shout out right to each other. Hey, they're about the same. This person moves that way. This person moves that way. And what happens? Swap. Yeah, they cross over. So if they cross over, what do we know about the sequence? It's a palindrome. It's a palindrome. Good, because there's no other elements to check, right? So I want you guys to cross over each other. Done. So your loop is done. Um, OK, in this case, uh, a little bit this way. So they haven't crossed over, but we do know that it's a palindrome, right? So we can say there's two different cases. Well, if they either cross over each other or if they meet, we know it's a palindrome. But in fact, there really isn't two cases. There really is only one case. So you can actually simplify this. Does anyone see the similarity between these cases? Yes? You just continue until the difference between the bigger one, or the one that starts on the right, and the one that starts on the left is greater than zero. Because if it's zero, it doesn't matter, it's the same element. Yeah, so they just swap. So what will happen here is that you continue this one more right, iteration. This person will say, person one will say, hey, this is what I have. Person two will say, hey, this is what I have. And will they be equal? Yes, they will. Right. So in that case, you move them over again. And they swap. So really, there is only one stopping case, and that's the case that the uh, person one and person two change signs. You can certainly do it like this, like even odd. Uh, I think it's much simpler to do it this way. So keep on going. So your looping condition will, keep, will evaluate the true, so as long as uh, either they're different, the values, or they haven't stopped. Uh, they have, they've swapped over, rather. All right, thank you very much. Let's give these guys a hand. Is that clear, to everyone? That's one way to go about this. Uh, there are different ways to solve this problem. So that's the one we thought about in office hours today. Um, and I would also recommend if you know functions, um, try to stay away from making different functions for this homework assignment. Uh, we haven't gone over functions yet. We'll do that very soon, hopefully. Um, especially if you're having trouble, you know, stick to one just main function. So and we get we'll have other homework assignments where we do functions. All right. Anyone um, have any questions on our beautiful algorithm up on the board, which is actually a pictorial representation of it? So, should we do like a, like a text version? Yes. When you do something like that, do you go until you know that they cross till they reach the center, or is it gonna keep going until they reach the end? Like, are they just gonna keep going and going until? Yeah. They reach the end? Um. I would say you want to stop when they've just crossed each other. At the first, as soon as you know that, that they've crossed over, um, you probably could do it until they reach the end, also, but I think it would just be unnecessary. So, yeah, in that case, you just say, well, you know, stop when. Yeah, that would work too, actually. You could do that. So the question was that, well, can you stop your loop when, um, instead of just having the people cross over, that they, in fact, reach different sides? And I think that would work out fine. Or you can, as soon as they cross over, you can just stop. <coughs> because they'll keep on calling out to each other. And if it th- indeed is a palindrome, right, they'll still say the same thing. right? It'll still be equal. So, Yeah, that would be fine. Perhaps, perhaps a bit more elegant. But, um, yeah, either one would be fine. All right, so let's, let's do a, a little textual description of this algorithm. <coughs> So it's going to be a series of steps, just in plain English. And sometimes i use something called pseudocode, which is basically, it's like quasi-code. Like it is code, but it's not code. It's sort of like English, but also C++. And we like to call that pseudocode, and it's very helpful in making textual descriptions of your algorithm. So step one, let's see. Declare a name constant and... Feel free to write this down. Uh, I won't post in the apartment, so as a reward for coming to class, if you like to use it. So declare a name constant and store 50. <coughs> so that's step one, is over here. All right, step two. Declare an array um by the way we'll say max is an inconstant. Declare an array of at most <coughs> max integers, initially all garbage values. declare a variable, let's say called size, to store actual size, actual number of elements, and I'll abbreviate that E-L-E-F-S in sequence. So we'll name this array sequence, and of course you can pick different names. And the initial value of this variable will be zero. So initially zero, and I'll abbreviate initially as init on uh, the board. Okay. So the next step is to the, get the user to tell us how many numbers are in the sequence, and there are different ways to go about this. Um, there's a more elegant way, if I have time today I'll go over that. <coughs> All right, so ask user (coughs) for the number of integers that will be in a sequence. Store in a variable. So the computer science department doesn't charge you by variables, so you can have as many as you like. All right. So we have a number a variable for that. In fact, you can use um, the same variable here. You can use that variable if you like. Let's do that. So say. Alright. So step five. Um, hmm. no, actually let's use it for parameter. Sorry. i uh, let's name this num sequence. So the number of numbers in the sequence, or number of integers marked with value. Alright, so while (coughs) size, which is the size from here, which is initially zero, is less than num sequence. So we have two variables working with here. Uh, One is size, which is number of Valid elements in your array. So let me go back here and fill in the correct numbers. All right, so initially we have all garbage values, right? Size will initially be zero. All right, and right, last index is max minus one. This will be max minus two. All right. Then we have this variable <laughs> called num sequence, which will be the number of. Actually, I just, let's see, it's max minus two. This will be num sequence. So that'll be the number of numbers in the sequence. And then we have size, which will start at zero. And we want to say while size is less than the number of numbers in the sequence. Um, store a number in, your in, in an array in the entry. So an entry in the array, rather. So 5a, ask user for an integer, 5b, store the integer in what? In the array, right? So here's the array sequence, but what index? So here's our picture. (coughs) Size is here, right? It's zero. Here's num sequence, right? We're going to go up to here and store each one of these entries, um, whatever the user enters. Someone, Someone had an answer? I heard something. Um, initially, the right, the first iteration will be zero, but more generally. So, right, right now, yeah, size is zero, right? There are no valid integers in the array. But generally, what do we want to say there? Of size. Yeah. Size. Which happens to be in the first iteration to be, in fact, zero. And the key is the next step. So on the first iteration, we have one integer right in our array. So what must we do to the size variable? In- increment. So increment size by one. So size is no longer zero; it's going to be one, and size moves over here. And if you look. Uh, An invariant of this loop, or a sort of a notion that doesn't change between iterations of the loop, is that size will always equal the index of the next available element. So as you're trucking along in this array, right, you'll fill in a value for here, and now you'll be here, you'll fill in a value there, and then you'll move size. So size is always at the index of the next free element in the array. Oh, by the way, we forgot one very important thing. It's in step number four. Does anyone see it? Ask the user for the number of integers that will be in the sequence. It's than 50, so... Not 50, but... Max, max right. Check if less than max. And I'll leave it up to you guys what to do there. Um, one thing you can do is just end the program. Um, in fact, you can end the program with just typing return 0. <coughs> so return 0 really ends the program. And you can do that. It doesn't have to be at the um, at the very end of your program like we've seen so far. You actually can write return 0 uh, at any arbitrary um, portion of your code. In fact, you probably don't want to return 0. You want to return something either greater than or less than 0, because the 0 actually represents a number that is is called the error code, in which the operating system has access to. So let's say that your program is not being run by a human, but actually um, another program invoked your program. So what they can do in this case is analyze that return number to see what happened in the program. So 0 indicates a normal execution. Anything besides zero indicates a problem. So in this case, we have a problem, right? The user entered a number that was greater than max. So we could return, for example, one at that point. Now, we all know that our, we're, we're going to be running our own programs. Um, no one's running our programs for us. Um, for example, there could be like a nightly job that runs like particular programs. So you'd have like a program running your program um, every midnight, for example. That program can utilize this number, but let's pretend. So, yeah, so one thing you can do is if uh, it's, like if it's um, not less than max, less than or equal to, I should say, you can end the program by turning 1, which indicates um, a normal error. In fact, you can assign, in the manual of your program, uh, you can assign different kinds of errors to different numbers. So you can say, for example, if you're writing a manual for your program, you can say one corresponds to the situation where the user entered a number greater than max. Two corresponds to something else, I don't know. Yes? Can you, just, can you just stick a loop until they... You can do that, too. Yeah, so another thing you can do is be persistent, which is one of the motivations uh, for loops. So the, question, the comment was that, well, can we just be in, a, be in a loop and keep on asking the user until we get what we want? And the answer is yes, so you can do that as well. It's up to you. I'll let you guys be creative on that one. It'll be a good exercise for loops. So. Although I think this homework is a good exercise as yes it is. Okay, so we took care of that. All right. So at the end of step five, we'll have this situation. Size will be equal to num sequence, and all these values will be filled in with integers. So this will no longer be one, this will be actually none, the value of non-sequence. They'll be the same. Is that clear, to everyone? Has to do when we were talking about loops, how you know the last iteration, um, you're sort of like one past the threshold of what the loop is supposed to do. <coughs> So this loop iterate right, num sequence number of times. Uh, and at this point, you'll have your array. Right. All right, so here comes the hard part. So we're on the, the part with, with the two guys, or the two students, rather, the one guy and the one gal. All right, so we're going to need some more variables. So the two people I have drawn on the board and the ones that were up here in, during class, they're going to be represented as variables and their values are going to be the indices of, where, of the cell they're standing on top of. So, number six is going to be declare two new variables say i and j. So i is going to be person one, j is going to be person two. Initially, <coughs> what do we assign i to be? I will equal what? Zero. Zero. Good. And j will equal. Here's the tricky part. Yes. Uh, num sequence minus one. You can use num sequence minus one, or um, you can just use size minus one. Either one is fine. I'll use size to save some time. Right, and that corresponds to the situation here. So in fact, this is num sequence or size minus one, because size and num sequence at this point are equal. Either one is fine. OK, so now we have the program, um, the shutting app and all that stuff. Alright, so we want to run this loop. Right, before we do that actually, let's use another variable. Where a Boolean variable called isPallet Initially So we'll assume um, innocent until proven guilty, if you want to think of look at it that way. So we have this Boolean variable called is palindrome. we'll set it to true. So initially we'll believe that the sequence is promising, that it is a palindrome, and we'll try to disprove it. So our loop is going to be as follows. While So we want to say while the two people haven't crisscrossed. So how can we say that in terms of i and j? Any suggestions? Well, i is less than j. Yep. Um hold on. Close. Yes. Or equal to. Yep. Right, because we have that other case. Remember, <coughs> we have this case to think about. It. Close up. Yes. You really don't need the equal though, because if they're both in the same spot, it's given that it's equal, so you don't you use that one. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true too. <laughs> right, 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 right. I think either ones okay, because you get this this one last step where it where they just call it the same cell number, right? Um, yeah, less than, yeah, less than's fine also. Either one. I don't think it'll matter. All right, so while i is less than or equal to j, um, uh, because I want to merge these two cases, so, uh let's have the, um, the guys call out the number, right? If what? We're going to call it the number, and the number is not equal. We know ahead of time, right? We know at that very moment, rather, that the sequence is not a palindrome. So if the sequence, sub <coughs> i, which is the value that person 1 is standing on, does not equal... sequence sub j, which is the value of the cell person two is standing on, then we know that it's not a palindrome. In that case, we set, is to be false? And in effect, we can augment this loop a little bit. So this loop says, while i is less than equal to j, so while I haven't crisscrossed, and it's the sequence is still prom- excuse me—promising. In fact, you don't need this. You can still keep on going. So what, Since once you set it to false, we'll never set it back to true. Uh, but you can no. augment the loop that way. Maybe <clears throat> save some iterations. Is that clear to everyone? Why we would do that? Uh, it's actually optional. Because, like I said, as long as we don't set is palind. So once once we know a palindrome uh, sequence is not a palindrome, and we set it to false, we never set it back to true. So once it's it's negative and it never becomes promising, then we don't actually need um, to have this this conjunction here, so we can just still we can still say why they have the crisscross, but either one's fine. I think this is fine the way it is. Okay, so if they're not equal, the values that the two people are standing on, we say that it's not no longer a palindrome. So what happens if uh, in the else case? So otherwise they are equal. What do we do? What do we do when we had the two students up here? Yes? So every time we said they're equal, we had, what do we have the students do? Move by one. Yeah. Or the other guy moved, moved by negative one, right? So let's continue this over here. So we know these values are equal. So let's move both uh, both people. So eight continued. Um maybe I will right back there. All right. So else, I'll say otherwise. That means they are equal. Increment i by 1. And what do we do with j? So person 1 moves ahead in the right direction. Yeah, person 2, or j, moves toward person 1. Right? So what do I say here? Yeah, decrement. Increment one, decrement the other. And guess what? 8 is done. So this loop terminates when either they've crisscrossed or the values aren't equal. <laughs> Step 9. Um, well, something we lose anyway, output output the sequence. By the way, you'll need a loop to do this as well. So one thing you can't do with C is just say C out insert sequence, for example, if sequence is the array. Right, you'll get a very funny looking number if you do that. It won't be what you expect. Um, so what you want to do is output the contents of the array. So you need a loop to do that, to go by each, each one, uh, one at a time. In fact, you'll find that a lot with, with programming. Um, it's almost like you only can see one thing at a time. Does anyone have a blank piece of paper they don't need? Oh, thank you. So when you're doing processing, processing with arrays, you'll find that the, the common scenario is as such. And maybe you have multiple pieces of paper like we do here in this in this particular program. It's going to be something like this. You only have local information at one time, and to do anything with arrays, you need to take one one thing step at a time. So you do something, you process this element, process this element, process this element. So you only have like this viewing class where you only can see one element at a time. In fact, it's the case here because we don't know the entire sequence. So it's very simple to look at like some of the simple examples on the requirements where we say okay one one two is not a palindrome, right? But computers can't do that. They only can see one thing at a time, right? Only one cell goes in here. So they need to step through each one of these cells until they can say the whole thing is not a, not a palindrome. Um, so for us, for us humans, we can definitely see that, for example, in the sequence one one two is not. A palindrome, right? We can take a look at it just like that and instantaneously know, uh, but computers can't do that. They're not good at that sort of thing. What they are good at, though, however, is analyzing a lot of data and doing the same thing to that data for each one of them. They're very, very good at repetition. So, and we're not, right? We have a lot of variation when we repeat something. So, if you give us, like, for example, a sequence of, I don't know, 500,000 numbers. We're not going to be able to look instantaneously and say, hey, that's a palindrome, or not. But guess what computers can do? And quite fast and efficiently. Boom, done. It can give you an answer just like that. So there's a little compare and contrast between humans and computers. So we're very good at stuff like this, and they're not, and vice versa. Do you want this back? No. No? Okay, I'll recycle it, I promise. Okay, so step nine is output the sequence. You'll need a loop to do that, and I won't get into the details of that. And finally, step ten. If is palind is true, then output is a palindrome. Otherwise, output is not but So this is what I mean about pseudo code. You know, you sort of it sort of looks like, looks like code. Um, like for example, there's some assignments, statements here, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but it's, it's just really plain English. So what you can do is basically like map um, steps of your algorithm into code. So for example, step one was taken care of by this statement. This will be step two. Uh, step three will be right here. And so on and so forth. So you can take your algorithm once you, you're convinced it's correct. In fact, is everyone convinced this algorithm is correct? From the demonstration and stuff? Sounds OK? So once that's the case that you're convinced it's correct, you can go back and actually map it to C++ code. But I think it's much easier to catch errors like in the conceptual level, like the plain English level than catch them in C++, especially if you're using if you're just learning C++. So I think it's much easier to see an error here um, and work your way through it than actually see the error in code. In fact, when you take your midterm, I, I really advocate this way of answering questions, is to r- take 30 seconds and just write a little plan of attack, analyze it, make sure that's correct, and then go about writing the code. Sound good? Yes? Um, can you explain this? It's three and four because we do, you the variable size to ask for the number of elements. But then you also ask the user... Again, we use this other variable. Right. Why can't? Why do we have two? Why are we using two? Why can't we just use the variable size? Um. Where did we use that? Right. Use? All right. So the question is, why do we need num sequence? Right. Uh, which is a number uh elements the user will will input into our system? Right into our program. So, good. Because you all you're doing is checking it. Right. So, couldn't I just use check size? OK, well, let's see. Let's, let's try, try to write code for that. All right, so let's say. Um, so, the question again is why is num sequence necessary? <clears throat> why is that variable necessary? So, let's say we just have the size variable. So let's say I initialize it to zero, but then I'm going to go ahead and say, okay, enter, I'll ask the users see out, insert, enter number of numbers. for example. and I'll say, okay, see in, extract size. So in fact, you know you can pretend this assignment to zero is not here. So declare size initially blank or a garbage, prompt the user, enter a number of numbers, and then extract input from standard input into the variable size. Okay, so now you want to enter, right, size number of numbers. And to do so, we'll need a loop, right, because it's that one, that peaking hole, right? It has only one hole in it. So if maybe our loop will say what? So while some condition, CN, something. So what would be my looping condition here? (coughs) I only have size. uh, So while size is less than max. So size, initially, is going to be somewhere in between. Um, well, it should, well, you should check for it, by the way. You should check to see if it's uh, between zero and max minus, or excuse me, uh, zero and max. So you have to check that max is either less than or equal to, uh, excuse me, size is less than or equal to max. So size is going to be somewhere in here. Right? In fact, it'll be, it could be even max. Um, So let's say size is out here. Here's size. So initially, these will all be garbage values, right? (laughs) So the first number will be placed in here. So what's at the beginning of the array? Just garbage, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's not going to work. Um, so we'll have like, you know, only these two elements, for example, from the film. Okay, so the, the while loop is just, it's, what we have written there is that the while loop size would just be the location, not it would be specific location. Like another variable? Yeah. Right, which is why. Right, everything right else is garbage it. except that one. Right, yeah, the point is that you'll need another variable. Yes. <clears throat> Can we just do a for loop and go from zero to the size? Um, right. Which a for loop, which we haven't gone over yet, but that you would declare another variable there, right? Would or not. You would, right? We haven't we haven't gone over for loops, but they're equivalent to while loops. You're just shorthands. So yeah, the point is that you need a counter variable to count how many numbers the um, user has entered at the current time, and that's why I, I had I was using size for. So I said size. is, all this corresponds to the entire program to the number of valid elements in the array, and that's why I use this additional variable. So here, um, so I would set size to be zero initially, and here I would say, well, at first I would declare num sequence initially undefined, and then input it here. And then my condition would be what? Judging by the algorithm. So what, what would my loop condition be here? While size is less than num sequence. Why isn't it less than equal to? Yes? Because the first value is 0. Yeah, because so you're starting at 0. So in computer science, life starts at zero, and one very good reason for that is because arrays start at zero. The first index of an array is always zero, and there's even more of a practical reason for that, and we'll get into that when we talk about pointers later in the quarter. So see an extract sequence sub size. Alright, and there's one last step here, right, to increment size, because we have because we have one more element in your array. And I can use a compound statement to do that. So I can say size is assigned size plus one. So that takes care of step number five. Um, in fact, there's there's a shorthand for incrementing and decrementing by one, because we do that a lot in C++. Does anyone know what that shorthand is? Plus, plus. Yeah, the plus, plus, and minus, minus operators. So you could, instead of this, you could say Cn sequence subsize and still in the compound statement here, you can say size plus plus. And these two are the same. In fact, uh, the name C++ is an incrementation operation. Right? C++? Does anyone know the story behind that? So what's the name of the predecessor language of C++? Right, C. So C++ <clears throat> actually is C because it's backwards compatible with 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 C, plus more stuff. In fact, the more stuff comes, it's actually classes, which we'll do the second half of the quarter, object oriented programming. So if you're ever on Jeopardy, and everyone, you know, Alex Trebek, is he still on there? I think so, right? He asks you what, you know, C is. You know, it's a like confrontation over C. Great, great stuff. Um, there's a couple of other things you can do. There's also the minus minus. So, um that decrements by 1 these are also called post increment or decrement operators because they happen after the fact one thing you can also do is do this you can't use an incrementation operator inside another statement and that way you wouldn't need <coughs> you wouldn't need this one And the way the post increment works is that after the statement is evaluated completely, then the incrementation comes into play. So it assigns from user input to the um, entry sequence with the value index at size. After that's done, it increments size by 1. If you did the opposite, you would actually start the array at 1. This is called a pre-increment operation. And before the, the statement is ever evaluated, it increments the, value, uh, the, uh, the variable size by 1. And then the statement is evaluated. So in fact, on the first iteration, you'll have Cn um, extract sequence sub uh, 1, as opposed to 0. So you want the, the, the former, which is the, the post-incrementation um, operator, And there's also shorthands, as well, for um, adding values to the variable. So for example, size is assigned size plus one is equivalent to size plus equals one. That's the same. In fact, you can do this with any operator. So this is called an assign and increment, or assign and accumulate, (coughs) rather. So you can um, assign and add one. You can even do that with different numbers, if you like. So, these are all the same. Any questions on that? So, size is assigned size plus one, size plus equals one, size plus plus, plus plus size. And statements by themselves are the same. The only difference is when you get to use incrementation and decrementation operators inside statements, then the post and pre, which corresponds to adding the plus plus symbol on the right hand side and the plus plus symbol on the left hand side, respectively, uh, come into play. So post incrementation is done after the statement is evaluated, pre incrementation is done prior to the statement being evaluated. And that might be on the midterm, so make sure uh, you guys know that. Yes? What, what is the uh, plus plus it's the same thing as saying size is assigned size plus one. So this is a shorthand. So a lot of times you write over the value of a variable. So this says, store in the variable size the, um, the value of size plus one, of the current va- uh, value of size plus one. This says, take the value, right? the same thing. Take the uh, value of size currently, add one to it and store it back into size. Take the value of size currently, add 1 to it, store it back in size. Same thing here, same thing here. Yeah. You can do this with any operator. You can do it with minus. You can do it with um, multiplication, division. You can do it with uh, the bitwise operations, actually, with Boolean. Uh, You can do um, like an and equals, or and is a sign, (coughs) with Boolean variables. So you can do it with any operator. Yes? So if you did size plus equals 5, Exactly right. Size plus equals 5 adds 5 instead of 1. But we do a lot of the 1's. It's always, a lot of the time it's by 1, so that's why we have special operators for that. Plus, plus, and minus, minus. Alright, any questions at all? So, homework due Thursday, and Thursday we'll start functions. Sound good? Alright, I'll be available after class if anyone needs to see me.